Well, good morning. As uh, Rod said, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at CrossFit. If you're a guest this morning, thank you for being here today. We, swip, we swatched, swapped things up a little bit. We gave those of you that like to sit in rows the better seats for a little while. So we put the tables in the back. Sorry. So we added some tables. They were hot commodities last week. So we're just having fun mixing things up. So we'll see what happens. You always feel free to put a comment on the Connect card about that. I don't know that I'll pay any attention to it, but please feel free. To, no, I'm just kidding. So no, it's good. We're in this series um, called The Way of Peace. And we're exploring, like, what does it look like in our practical everyday lives to develop a rule of life, right? A rule of life that gives us kind of some guardrails to live out this idea of peacemaking. Now, if you are a guest this morning, uh, again, thank you for being here. If, if you feel like, hey, this is someplace you'd like to check out, learn more about, uh, whatever it might be, inside that program, there's a little note for me and my cell phone is there. Just send me a text message. I'd love to take you out for coffee, answer any questions you might have about our church, and uh, get to know your story a little bit more, share a little bit of my story, and uh, that'd be great. So please do that. I do respond to that text. That really is my cell phone number, all right? And uh, I would absolutely uh, find it a real joy to do that. So it's there. Who have, who's, who's been able to send me a text message? I responded and we actually had coffee. Raise your hand up nice and high. See, look around. It's true. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Who has sent me a text message and I never responded and did not have coffee with? Everybody else's hand goes up. I've never. You're a liar. No. So uh, last week we launched this series called The Way of Peace. And we said this. We said a Jesus-centered life is a peace-centered life. We kind of talked about how we all have a center of our lives, and a lot of times when you're a part of religion, you might say, well, Jesus is, and well, what does that mean? And that can like, lead us down a weird path. But here at Crossroads, we talk about faith and following Jesus, and we talk about spirituality and the Christian tradition in terms of peacemaking, that Jesus' invitation to be a peacemaker is really what it means to follow him, right? And so we, we kind of begin exploring this idea, and I gave us a, a prayer and I challenge us to begin praying this prayer every day. And we called it the way of peace prayer, right? I'm super creative, okay? Now, on your way out or if you're at a table, we have these little cards that has that prayer on it. If you want to take it home, put it by your toothbrush. Hopefully, you're brushing your teeth once or twice a day. You can read it when you brush your teeth. It's a great way to learn it, to memorize it. But this is something that I really believe can ground us in this path to peace, this way of peacemaking right? And, uh, and it just says this, Jesus, today I choose to follow your way of peace. Lead me to one person that I can love, give hope, and bring your peace to today. It just kind of centers our hearts, right? So I want to encourage us to pray this prayer every day of our lives, right? So you can grab this here. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about the impact your daily choices have on other people? Like this morning, as you chose what to wear, did you wonder, I wonder how people will perceive me today? Probably not. You probably were just trying to pick out something to wear, like me. Like, oh, that'll be comfortable today. I'm not wearing those jeans. I had too much cake over Christmas. I'm going to wear those jeans. How many of y'all have a closet like that? You know, like this is the kind of like June, July, August section, you know? This is the December, January, February section, right? We have these like daily choices that we make. And usually when we make choices, we don't oftentimes think about how they ripple out and how they affect people around us. Sometimes in my life, I find myself in circumstances, and I'm going to be honest with you, I ask, I wonder what life would be like if I had made a different choice. I don't know about you, but do you ever find yourself in a space where you're like, I wonder if I would have said yes to this job or no to that job? Or what if I would have said yes to this person 
in a relationship and no to this person. We're kind of enamored by what happens in our lives and the choices we make and the path that those choices create. But usually when we think about it, we just think about us, right? We think about, well, how would my life be different? We don't think about, well, how would the lives around us be different? It's interesting, this is a common theme in movies, right? There's some movies that have kind of captured and taken our hearts over because they depict what life could be like if we had made different choices. One of the most famous ones that people watch at Christmas time is The Wonderful Life. Thank you, some of you that have class. I appreciate that. (laughs) My wife, on the other hand, not a fan of that movie. It's been a source of problems in our marriage for 25 years. All right. Right, that's a famous one. But there's been other movies throughout time, right? That, that there was a movie called The Butterfly Effect that was this idea that like the simplest choices, right? Maybe you heard of a series of movies called Back to the Future. <laughs> Back to the Future. Funny story about Back to the Future, nothing to do with the message. I remember when our son was, I don't know, he was like 10 or 11. And, you know, we had this, and they watched Back to the Future as PG. And like all of a sudden we're like hearing it from upstairs, like, Man, PG movies back in the day, like you can say a lot of stuff you can't say in PG movies. <laughs> I remember you were like, well, cat's out of the bag on those words. So, <laughs> right back to the future, the idea you can't change anything in the past because what it's going to do, the ripples it'll have in the future. Most recently, there's a movie that's come out called Everything, Everywhere, Always. And the premise of this movie is there's these multiple universes, right, of people, and, and, it's, and it's you, and there's versions of you. I think this is what the movie's about. I watched it, I'm not sure. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's versions of you that are different based upon choices that you make, right? And how that affects your life and, and, the, and others around you, right? And the common theme is they all deal with the impact of a choice that we make because choices are powerful. Now, I think the Bible, when the Bible uses language, particularly the New Testament, particularly the Apostle Paul and others, when the Bible uses language like the power of sin, how many have ever heard that phrase before? You've been around church long enough, enough offerings, you've heard the phrase power of sin, all right? <laughs> That was a, an offering joke, but that's okay. You didn't get it. On the way home, you'll think about it. Um, the power of sin. Or there's, there's also this concept within Scripture of the power of love. See, I think when we talk about these things within Scripture or faith, we're actually talking about the power of our choices, right? The ripple effect, the ways that our choices affect others. Right? We don't often understand that if I make a choice in the moment, how that could wound someone and create a wounded nature in a heart that could create a fracture in a relationship that could harm the development of a person or, 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 or the common good. Just like I don't oftentimes think about how the simplest acts of love could do the exact same thing, right? And that, I think, is the, the Bible's way, like a, a way in antiquity to say there's so much power in our choices, our choices to the way we view ourselves, the way we view one another. Now, why is it that we miss this? Why is it that we don't recognize the way our choices will affect other people? Why is that? Well, because I think we're in kind of like this crisis of individualization. Can I say that? It's not popular, okay, folks? But everybody is so special, right? You are special. And I don't want to deny that truth, okay? You are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are unique. But there's a side of me, too, that is kind of like, Maybe I'm not that special, though. Right? Like, so, I mean, I'm a terrible parent. Can I just say that right now? Right? There have been moments in, in the rearing of my children that I have looked at them and said, you're just not that special. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to tell you this. But I'm telling you this because I love you. Right? 
Because somewhere along the way in our culture, and if you're a person of faith in our religion, everything became so individualized. Even our understanding of the gospel in the Christian tradition and the way we think about faith, it's become like my personal decision, my personal faith, my personal relationship with God. And in all of these things that, that kind of pour into our lives where we, we just want to be the center, it's us, it's me, it's my world, you're just a guest in it. I don't know if you know that or not. Like we've had this huge increase in, in, in I think, good ways like self-help and, and, and understanding that we need to work on ourselves. I believe all of that stuff. But what seems to me is happening is we're losing and we've lost this kind of deep sense of community. We've lost kind of this shared humanity. We've lost an interconnectedness with one another, right? I mean, we know this. I don't, I don't, you know, it's kind of a waste of the last seven minutes, right? You're like, we get it, Ryan. You just need to say we're divided and we don't care about each other. Like, we know the fruit of that. And the truth is, the real tension is that our daily choices, the little things that we do, the little words that we say to people, the way we treat that person on the street, the way we treat the person who's bringing us our food, the way in which we treat the person we're serving, all of those little choices, they ripple out further than we could ever imagine. And those choices are powerful, and they create life, and they create death in the common good. They create life, and they create death in the world. And it's a life and death that goes beyond kind of physical realities, but it's a way of being. And Jesus actually offers quite a bit of wisdom when it comes to the reality of life and death and our choices. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, there's this beautiful thing called the Sermon on the Mount. And after the Sermon on the Mount, you have kind of Jesus living out these principles and teaching them. So a little bit past the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 16, we find Jesus who's with his disciples, and he's gone through this kind of speech before this where he's kind of shared, like, there's some tough things that are getting ready to happen to me. And as Matthew tells the story and as Matthew shapes the story, after Jesus kind of gives the big, like, wah, wah, you know, like Debbie Downer talk, like, what are you talking about, Jesus, right? All this stuff, how difficult, difficult things could be for him. This is what he says. He says, to his disciples, right? Disciples, if you're kind of new to the Bible and new to that language, just like students, people that had kind of been invited into Jesus's circle in that day and age, they would kind of give up everything and they would follow this rabbi around and they would take on this rabbi's way of viewing faith and religion in the world, right? And they would follow that. They would learn it. They'd memorize it. It was called their yoke. They would memorize it and they would live it out and then they'd pass it on. So Jesus says this, super uplifting. If anybody wants to follow after me, if anybody wants to come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, can we just honor the moment that this would have made very little sense to the disciples? <laughs> take up my cross? What are you talking about? Now it makes perfect sense to us. Post-resurrection, post-Easter, post the development of the church makes perfect sense. A lot of scholars are kind of like, we don't know if Jesus actually said this, but he meant this, right? Because if Jesus would have said this, now maybe he did, right? But like, it would have been like, my, take, up your, what, take up my cross. What are you talking about, Jesus? The only people that die on crosses are bad news. Let's not talk about that. But what Jesus is teaching and what Jesus is saying is, listen, to be my disciple, to follow after means that you have to daily make a choice. You're making this choice all the time to live sacrificially. See, that's what Matthew wants us to get. 
That's what Matthew wants us to understand because Matthew's writing for a community. He's trying to help them understand what Jesus is all about, what daily living is like. And so Jesus says, if you're going to fall after me, if you're going to be part of this movement, this way of living, by the way, that's what it was called early on, the way, does that mean you got to live sacrificially? And Jesus would describe this way of sacrifice, this daily taking up your cross as the narrow way. How many have ever heard that phrase like, get on the straight and narrow. You ever heard? So you didn't even know you knew Bible stuff. That's a Bible thing, right? The straight and narrow. It comes from Jesus, right? Jesus says, you got to get on this narrow path. So in Matthew 7, that Sermon on the Mount that I mentioned earlier, this is what he says. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. Uh, he says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. So remember, he says, enter, right? Enter into life. These people are all living, by the way, that Jesus is talking to. <laughs> so we know that he's not necessarily talking about physical or like physical death and physical life because they're all alive. So he says, you enter into this narrow gate. He says, but the narrow way and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are a few who find it. Now, here's the thing. When you hear the word life, you probably do exactly what I do when I hear that. I think of my life. I caught you. Remember that intro that was so phenomenal earlier? Bam. Because you think Jesus is talking, and I think Jesus is telling me, the way you find your life, the way you have your life, the way you have this amazing life is to do what I say, and it's narrow, and like, just don't, don't use tobacco. Don't watch R-rated movies. And don't listen to music and certainly don't dance and go to church. And this is the narrow life. But what if Jesus is talking about a communal reality of life? What if Jesus is saying life flourishing, right, is about people choosing a narrow path that I'm laying out? And it's a hard path to walk, but it leads to life. <laughs> life for everybody, human flourishing for everybody. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that our choices will either promote or destroy the common good, life. So we will either choose a path that's good for me personally, but may end up destroying a community. We may choose a path that promotes my own wealth and my own betterment and my own things, but it's at the expense of enough for everyone. And remember who Jesus is talking to here. Like he's talking to people and religious leaders that often have this massive gap of existence. Now, if we go back to Matthew 16, I just want us to hold that there is this life that's bigger than your life and my life that Jesus is talking about. And we go back to Matthew 16, where he's talking about like the narrow way and, and, and being his disciple and taking up your cross then he starts talking about your own life. It's very strange. He says, for there, he says, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. So, so Jesus talked about a narrow way that leads to life, which I think is for everyone. And in Matthew 16, he's talking about, and there's this way of living that you'll actually find real life. But it's about losing your life for my sake. See, Jesus believed that life to the fullest Life for everyone could be found only when we take up his cause. 
That's why he says, for my sake. If you lose your life for my sake, so you lay down, you sacrifice, you take up the cross, and you do it for my sake, right? As a teacher, as a rabbi, for the, the continuation of my teaching, now, now you're going to find life. Now, Mark, the gospel of Mark, when Mark tells Jesus and crafts his story about Jesus for his community, and he's shaping it, he adds an interesting phrase to this statement of Jesus. So in Mark, Jesus says, for if you lose your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. That's only in Mark. Luke and Matthew, when Jesus talks like this, he doesn't say anything about that. But in Mark, Mark says, for the sake of the gospel, which gives us a little hint as to what Jesus is talking about. So what is the gospel or the good news? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. I always like to go right to Jesus when I think about the good news and the gospel because the gospel is presented as all different kinds of things depending upon where you grew up, depending upon what faith tradition you're a part of, what church you went to if you're a part of the Christian tradition, right? But the gospel, the good news, uh, from Jesus' own mouth, according to Luke, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up. He's kind of in this place, and he opens up a scroll, unrolls it, or probably went this way, and he reads from the gospel or he reads from the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah writes this, and this is what Jesus says about himself. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news, that's the word gospel, good news to the poor. So we know that the gospel is first and foremost for the benefit of the, it's not a trick question, poor, it's up there. We'll try that one more time. We know that first and foremost, the gospel is for the benefit of the poor. Interestingly enough, we have another space where Jesus says, the poor you will always have among you. Could be a reality of the necessity of the gospel for all time. So if that's the first thing we know about the gospel, the good news is to the poor. He says, the spirit of the Lord has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. A lot of people who were put in prison and who were brought into captivity were poor back then. Doesn't happen now, though. <laughs> right? I mean, there's not any kind of correlation between incarceration and poverty, crime and poverty. Oh my gosh, do we not learn? This was 2,000 years ago. Jesus says we got to bring freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. These are all people that lived outside the system, that lived outside of acceptance and inclusion, to set free those oppressed and to proclaim the year of the favor of the Lord. I was referring to a, 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 something called the year of Jubilee in which debts were released every 49th, 50th year, depending upon how you do the math. Debt-free. There are all kinds of cool laws that were establishment to help, help, people out of, help keep people out of poverty within Judaism, within ancient Israelite religion. And one of these was the year of Jubilee. In the 49th year, seven years of seven, there was a releasing of debts and a re restoration of property to your family. Jesus says, now's the time. So what is Jesus saying? The good news is that I'm here to tell you that what God really wants... <laughs> It's not you to follow all the rules of faith and religion and sacrifice, but I'm here to announce to you that God would like to see equity in the world. God would like to see freedom in the world. God would like to see justice. God has a vision for this world, 
and I'm here to show you what it is, and I'm here to proclaim that it is good news for the poor. And everybody with money in their savings account is like, wait a second. (laughs) That's not what I was told the gospel is. See, Jesus is saying there is a way of living that will produce God's vision of peace on earth. There is a way of living that will produce justice for the poor and the oppressed, and it is not religion. Because Jesus was announcing what the prophets had said of old. Micah, who would say, what is it that God asks of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Jesus is reiterating in his ministry and in his life what Amos certainly lost his voice calling the Israelites to, calling the people to, to the true heart of the one true God. For he says, oh, here's, here's what God says to you. I hate, I despise, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me all the burnt offerings and all the grain offerings, I'm not going to accept them. You bring choice fellowship offerings. I'm going to have no regard for those things. Away with your noisy songs. I'm not going to listen to your music and your harps, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. See, Jesus took up the anthem of the prophets. And I think the prophets would say to us, as a reminder, God doesn't really care what day you gather and sing your songs on. God doesn't really care how often you attend. God doesn't really care. God doesn't really care if you put your 10% in. Oh, that's a scary one for me. God doesn't really care what you wear to church. God doesn't really care if you have all the beliefs and the doctrines right. Isn't that great? Somehow along the way, though, that's what it all became. It's what it always goes to. But Jesus is saying there's a way of life, there's a way of, of living that can produce what God wants in this world, real life. And as we look at the life of Jesus, you see it lived out in him over and over and over again because he would always go out to the spaces where there was most needed of justice and inclusion and love. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That God is not found in buildings made by man, in worship services that are crafted. No, God is found in the oppressed. God is found in the poor. And it's in those spaces that we find transformation. And when we live our lives making everyday choices to build God's vision on this world and not mine, now we're getting somewhere. So, What's our first rule of life, rule? What's our first commitment in the way of peace? It seems so simple, but this is it. Rule number one in our way of peacemaking life, rule, is this. Daily choose to follow Jesus every day. Every day we choose to follow this Jesus who says this is the gospel message, this is the good news. And what does that mean to follow Jesus? This is what I believe it is. I do not believe that following Jesus and I used to believe this. I hate, I'm not going to even hate to say it, but I don't, I don't believe that following Jesus is saying a prayer one day and getting to go to heaven. I don't believe that. I don't believe that following Jesus is learning all the right things that you're supposed to believe and getting all the Bible verses down that tell us everything about God. I don't believe that's what following Jesus is. You know, Jesus never once talked about what you had to believe. Isn't that great? Never once did Jesus say, here's the deal. 
In a few, in a few decades, a few hundred years, we're going to give you a book. You're going to get everything you need to know about God. You're going to get it all right, and it's going to make this world right. It's going to be awesome. No, never. But yet within 300 years, the first creeds, you know how much those creeds talk about daily living? Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Read the Sermon on the Mount. There is nothing in the Sermon on the Mount about the very nature of God and what you should believe. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' program for life is about how you should live, how you should treat one another. And yet the creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, I dare you to try and find one thing in those creeds that have anything to do with the way you treat one another. It's all about belief. And can I just tell you why? Because it makes sense when you're trying to organize an empire that everybody believes the same you got to get everybody on the same page if you're going to run an empire. Ryan, do you hate the creeds? No, I don't hate the creeds. I just like to say what they are. Jesus didn't, I mean, this wasn't a part of Jesus' language when he left us. So to follow Jesus and to choose to follow Jesus is to say, I'm going to walk this narrow path of loving mercy, doing justice, and living sacrificially. I'm going to take up my cross. I was raised thinking in a, in a very moralistic environment, and I love that part of my life as a part of my story. So I'm not down in it. I'm not saying I'm a terror, like I wish it never would have happened. That's, just don't hear me. But what I was raised was take up your cross, meant all the fun stuff you wanted to do in life, you couldn't do. You got to sacrifice those on the cross. That's your burden to bear. So no, Ryan, you can't listen to TLC. You can listen to Amy Grant until she starts singing songs about love that we're not sure if it's about Jesus or that other man. And we're not going to listen to her either. But the depth of what Jesus, I think, and what Matthew and the earliest followers of Jesus want us to understand is that to take up our cross is to take the pain and the violence and the oppression and all that stuff into us and return it as love because that's what the cross was, to take all the pain and all the junk and to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And is that difficult? Oh, yeah. That's way more difficult than not listening to secular music. I mean, come on. So we choose that every day. So mercy, positively receiving what I don't deserve. That's what mercy is. To receive what I don't deserve in a positive way. Justice from a biblical perspective, right? Justice isn't all oh, them getting what they deserve, right? Justice in a, in a restorative sense is positively receiving what I do deserve. And sacrifice is to give up what's mine to give mercy and justice to those in need of it. To give what I could rightfully say is mine to lay that down so that I might create a more just and more merciful space for one person. I make that choice. So here's a couple questions to help us live this out. Questions for our everyday life. So we're going to wake up every day. Rule number one, we're going to say this prayer. It's a mantra. Lord, today I choose to, Jesus, today I choose to follow you. Lead me to one person, one person that I can show your mercy. Lead me to one person that I can give grace to, that I can bring hope to. One person. So I'm going to daily choose this. So let me ask this question. Think in your life, who needs mercy? So to give mercy is to say, where can I sow seeds of grace and forgiveness? See, the mercy of God is this idea 
that we receive something we need, but we know we don't deserve. Love. And the lie is that we don't deserve it. Can I just get really super philosophical for a moment? Because <laughs> I think you do deserve love. And I think we do deserve grace. I think we do deserve God. I think that's part of the nature of love and the nature of God. And the nature of the lie is that we don't. But somehow God's got to break through that lie. Because <laughs> it's so powerful. And so we live in that space of receiving grace and forgiveness. And now we look for where can I give it? And I want to just encourage you to extend grace and forgiveness does not mean to live without boundaries or trusting untrustworthy people. To forgive someone that has harmed you, to offer mercy to someone who needs it, does not mean that you put yourself back in a situation to be hurt or harmed again. Basic, simple example of this is, I, I let somebody borrow 100 bucks. Rod Kai, he's up here. <laughs> this happened. This is a true story. I let him borrow $100. The guy never gave it back to me. It just creates a rift in our relationship. Every time I see him, I wonder, is this loser going to pay me my 100 bucks back? <laughs> I even hint around at it. Hey, Rod, how's it going? How's work going? You getting paid these days? <laughs> you know? I'm like, hey, what the heck? Not a true story. <laughs> now, Rod never gives me the 100 bucks back, and it just festers in my soul. I have two choices. Hang on to it or extend mercy, grace, and forgiveness and say, you know, forget it. Just forget it. It's okay. I'm going to just choose to believe there's something going on in his life that can't pay me back. So don't worry about it. So I'm going to go to Rod and say, Rod, hey, listen, I know I told you that 100 bucks was a loan. Keep it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Two weeks later, Rod comes up and says, hey, can I borrow 100 bucks? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why in the world would I do that? I might give you 100 bucks again, but I'm not going down that road. That's just a boundary. It doesn't mean I don't forgive. It doesn't mean I don't offer mercy and grace. It doesn't even mean, oh, forgive and forget. Like, I don't, I don't even know where that comes from, right? Like, forgiveness is forgetting. I don't know about that. But there's a sense of, like, I'm not going to let it destroy me, so I forgive the hundred bucks, but I'm also not going to give him another hundred bucks. doesn't mean I don't love him. doesn't mean I don't care for him. doesn't mean I wouldn't do my best to help him, but I just learned. I have a boundary set there. might let him borrow five bucks, see what happens. Let's start small. Five bucks with inflation is like 25 cents last year, you know? So, like, whatever. Go buy yourself a gumball, right? I mean, what am I? So there's a difference there. Second question we can ask ourselves is, what sacrifice can I make today to create a more just world? What sacrifice can I make today to create a more just world? That sacrifice could be, you know what? Instead of having five pairs of jeans, I'm going to have one. I'm going to make sure that my jeans weren't made in sweatshops, impoverished communities. You know, that's a sacrifice you can make. I'm, I'm going to give up coffee from places. I'm not going to go to places where I know coffee comes at, in inhumane ways. I'm just going to kind of be a person that does my best to look for that fair trade reality. I'm going to pay a little bit extra, right? Or I'm just not going to, I'm going to go without. If I can't afford to buy a good or service that is done in an ethical way, I'm just going to do my best to go without. Like these are just daily choices that we make that if enough of us make that choice over time, things change. Justice rolls, right? So how can I make, where can I make that sacrifice? We can sacrifice our time, to learn things, to listen, to volunteer, to lead others. We can sacrifice our material resources. 
We can sacrifice our comforts, comfort, stepping into spaces that we don't understand, stepping into places where there is injustice that we've never experienced, that we don't even think is real because of our own privilege. So we just kind of set it aside like Jesus. I never understood why Christians have such a hard time with the idea of privilege. I mean, it's right there in Philippians, right? Who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to hang on to, but set aside everything. Some translations even say set aside his privilege and became human. So look for those spaces. This weekend, we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr., his life and his teachings and his leadership. He said the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Right? Will we get uncomfortable? Will we get uncomfortable? Will we just... Will we get uncomfortable? Will we not have what everybody else has because we know getting it produces pain and suffering in the world? If you don't know it does, then whatever. I'm just saying when you know it, <laughs> do better. So we make those choices, but we, we kind of tune ourselves, right, through simple prayers like the one we're talking about. Show me this. Where, is, where can I bring hope? Where can I bring peace? Asking the question, where can I sacrifice for mercy and justice, right? Those are like tuning forks for our soul. And then, the, and then when we start to tune our hearts and our minds, our hands start to get tuned to it as well. Our wallets start to get tuned to it as well. Our clocks start to get tuned to it. And we just start to see the world experience it a little differently. I think a Bible word for this is salvation, sanctification, being made more and more into the image of love, God, right? And as we do that, as we pray this prayer every day, as we say, okay, rule number one, choose to follow Jesus. Choose to follow Jesus. Where can I show mercy, forgiveness, and live sacrificially. That's my first rule of life. That's what it means to walk the way of peace. The common good flourishes when we do that, right? The tide rises for everybody. When we daily choose to love mercy, when we daily choose to do justice, when we daily choose to make a sacrifice for someone, the common good is built up because those choices are made outside any boundary marker we have. It's not, well, who do I show you know, mercy to that loves me, that's part of my tribe? No, it's just who, who out there can I show mercy to? The simplest ways, how can my heart be attuned to? And you start to see it. So what is it that God's inviting you into today? As we kind of wrap up, as we head out into our everyday normal lives, as we start to put this into practice, we say, okay, rule number one, daily choose Jesus. That's why the prayer says, today I choose to follow you, Jesus. Right, so last week and this week kind of blend together. If I daily choose to follow Jesus, that invitation to life, to creating life. Maybe the Spirit of God's inviting you to, there's just been somebody that's in your mind since I talked about, like, who needs mercy in your life? And you're like, oh, crud. Why did I come to church today? <laughs> Why did I tune in? Maybe God's just saying, hey, maybe try mercy. You've been unmerciful towards this person. You've been harboring it. I love that, like, Daddy's home too. We're harboring things. <laughs> yes, we're harboring. No. Like, how do I release people of the debt to release myself into life? So maybe there's a person. Maybe God's inviting you to just make a sacrifice that'll create a more just world. And maybe for you, that's, hey, this week, I just want to kind of, maybe I'm going to spend some time, like, what is one thing that I can do What's one sacrifice that I can make that can make a difference for justice? 
That's the heart of God. How do I do that? And I hope all of us will memorize this way of peace prayer. And I hope that it'll mark our community of faith. I hope that in five years from now, when people walk into Crossroads and they say, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And where do I begin? That we have an opportunity for people to come and learn about the way of peace. And one of the first things they learn is this little prayer. Today, I choose to follow you, Jesus. Lead me to one person. Lead me to one person that I can show your grace to, bring your hope to. Show me that one person that I can do that. Imagine if that were to mark our community. Imagine what would happen to our neighborhoods, our zip codes. I just feel like that could change the world. So we get this song to close out as you're finished and filling out your connect card, your offering envelope. The room hosts are going to come receive the offering here in just a moment and the connect cards. This song says, I will change. I can change, really. <laughs> so I can change. I will change. Not just myself, but I'll change the world. And, and here's the thing. As you listen to these lyrics, as you think about this song, remember that we can hate things other than people. And sometimes there are things more dangerous to hate than people. So when we hate the idea of forgiveness, when we hate the idea of mercy, when we hate the idea of sacrifice, I think that's actually a far greater problem than hating a person. So just just remember that. And just remember this, that change happens just one choice at a time. Just recognizing that one choice I make today could have these massive ripple effects. So I'm just going to make this one little choice. We don't have to get caught up. Like I have to go and become president of the United States to make change. I don't have to become mayor. I don't have to become governor. I just, maybe when I walk by that person on the street who I know is now, I can just look at them with kindness and not contempt. Maybe I can begin to choose to make positive assumptions about people in their own lives and in their own struggles as opposed to just assuming the worst of my coworkers. Right? One little change. So enjoy this song. Finish filling out those connect cards and we'll get you out of here with a special blessing. We're going to read Martin Luther King Jr.'s prayer for the church as our blessing today.